Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. podcast this is your host Kian Sobani and uh, a special treat on today's show we have our friend of the show and founding member of the Peña Maridisa Sur de California Christian Paredes Christian how you doing man welcome to the show fantastic thank you so much for having me Kian um, so you and I talked off air because I was interviewing you for my upcoming book and I wish uh, I kind of Part of me just kind of is antsy and wishes that yeah, I could just share that with with people now and talk about it. But I will say, um, if anyone wants like to to kind of have a picture of somebody when they look up the word uh, maridista, it, it it probably could be you. Um, <laughs> you're you're very in terms of like your passion, the way you revolve your life around it, the fact that you love this club uh, enough to want to spread the message of just you know expanding the brand uh into into where you are and bringing maridistas together regardless of as you put it you know their opinions uh on certain ex-player ex-culture whatever but just to bring that atmosphere and that togetherness um i commend you for that thank you very much uh when you when i say peña maridista sur de california so does that actually qualify as the entire geography geographical area of that state uh, yes, Southern yeah. California region of the state, yes. Okay. Um, and you guys get together how often? Uh, we get together for large um, uh, games such as Clásicos, Derbies, uh, Champions League games, Champions League final that happened uh, last month. Uh, so those type of games. And you guys just have a meeting point at a bar. And also, uh, what is like the process of, can anybody join? Like, what's the process? Yes, you uh, can join as a member on our website, realmadridcalifornia.com, and uh, you submit an application. Um, you come to uh, – viewing parties are public. We promote them publicly. But um, we strongly recommend that two, one or two members inside recommend you to come in uh, because we can't we, – we, we want to build a family. We are a family. So we don't want someone to come in and we never see them again for a long time. We want – um, you know, return uh, participation of members and building camaraderie. So you can apply, get recommended, you pay a due, uh, you get a, a few perks uh, as an official Pena member and all the information by email of all our events, anything coming up. We have direct communication with the club on a constant basis. Uh, it's really a beautiful thing. The sheer amount of fans that just Real Madrid fans that exist in every nook and cranny on earth, it, it never fails to amaze me. Like I, I, Gabe and I kind of talk about this a lot and, you know, some of the other managing Madrid staff writers also because we feel, uh, we feel very well connected to the fan base because of what we do and the amount and just the, the interactive nature of our podcast and the amount of questions we, we get in from around the world. Uh, and that this the snowballing effect of how it grows it's like it really feels like there is an infinite pool of people to to connect with that'll never end it's like a bottomless pit uh and i mean that in a good way it's just just crazy amount of people and to me that speaks to just how incredible the brand has developed i think it it points to also the job florentino has done uh and and also people like you forming this groups does it 
Do you feel that it just, is there a ceiling on the growth? No. No. No, because um, unlike other organizations, um, and, you, and a perfect example um, is in the United States, we have, like, for example, the Chicago Bulls. And you ask a Bulls fan, why are they a Bulls fan? What made you become a Bulls fan? And nine out of ten times, it's Michael Jordan. But with Real Madrid, you don't have that answer. I've asked numerous Madridistas within the Peña, outside of our Peña, and I get a different answer. I'm a Madridista because of Zidane. I'm a Madridista because of Redondo. I'm a Madridista because I'm Don Alfredo. I'm a Madridista because of... And it's a different answer, and it goes to the ultra-competitive level that the club has maintained over these decades within Spain, within Europe, uh, and even even internationally with the world titles we've won, and it's with different players, different legends, different coaches. Um, you know, Toshak from the from the '80s. Uh, it's just it's a different answer, and that really speaks to the the size of of success and reputation the club has built, and the diversity of the pool of Madridismo around the world. I got to tell you, I've I've spoken to a lot of Real Madrid fans. I don't think I've ever heard the answer, John Toshek, from the '80s. That's mm-hmm. that's, that's incredible. Yep. Um, I remember him as a coach, uh, but I, I, you know, he he played in an era that I I just uh, before I was born. But that's an amazing answer. So, yep. did you have that player? No, no, no. He was coaching the La Quinta, La Quinta de Butre in the '80s with Butragueño, with uh, with Michel as Santillana. You know that. that no, no, sorry, uh, I, I meant. Did, did you have a player that you? Oh, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, no, no, for, go ahead. For me, the I mean, my idol is uh, Don Alfredo, mm-hmm. number one, because you know, I when I saw his videos in the uh, you know in the Tour Bernabeu the first time I went, uh, that won me over, and then Redondo in the 2000, uh, specifically that uh, Tacon move that he made in Man U at uh, Old Trafford to lead to that goal for Raul. I mean, moments like that and him being Argentine, uh, there's that personal connection of me following specific players within Real Madrid. I think if you like listed the top five, just moments, like not even uh, sequences, just moments of like one second, uh, I think that would be in the top five of like the last, what, 25 years? Yes. You'd probably throw in Zidane's volley. Bale, you can probably throw in Bale's and Ronaldo's volley this season if you wanted to. Yeah. But that Redondo moment is so iconic that yeah. it is. it will never die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it will not. Uh, it will not. You know what I loved about that moment was that sometimes, like, we talk about the brilliance of the moment and, and I think it was Henningberg who poor guy, his, uh, his name will be immortalized because he was the one defending it. Uh, you remember that season as we were, we were just bad domestically. And, uh, I remember listening and putting up with United fans and the press, just thinking that it was going to be a bloodbath and they were going to steamroll us. Mm-hmm. The amount I sometimes go back and watch those goals, not even for the goals, but just to see the the the, the silence of the fans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to add to that, we have to consider this too. You, Man, you the season before won the treble. They're the yeah. defending champions. Yeah, and yeah. so you can imagine that they were walking in there as you know, you're not gonna. You're not going to do anything to us. You know, we are going to come through. And and Real Madrid just has this DNA, you know, of, of pulling this another lever, another gear when you don't expect it. And the other team is left in ruins because they don't know how to respond to that. It's 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 absolutely it's so difficult to describe, but you can see it. So I think about this often, and uh, some people, I've had people, when I mention the words Real Madrid European DNA, some people just don't believe it, and, uh, and that's fine. I'm mm-hmm. not here to convince anyone otherwise. I actually think it's real. I really do. So, and, and what you're speaking of, that entire season, literally, I think Real Madrid slept walk for 95% of it. And then, all of a sudden... 
they draw Man U and was it the quarterfinals? They had they had Man U in the quarterfinals, Bayern in the semifinals, Valencia in the final. And that first leg, even from the first leg, that was nil nil. They went to a gear and it was on the backs of to me three legends, Raul, Roberto Carlos, and Redondo. They went to a level that that just transcended everyone else they were playing against. And that yeah. stuff is real to me. I think that is an actual gear. And then you fast forward, uh, oh man, somehow 18 years has gone by. That still exists. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it goes to, I mean, you want to win everything. Madridistas want to win every title we go up for. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's who we are. That's what we're about. And we, we, have the, uh, we have the hardware to show it. However, when you look at the teams that have won Champions League titles over the years, very few of them have won domestically as well as internationally within the same season because that's how the team, one, was, was built. And number two, it goes to the priority of which one do you put more important than another that you go for. And clearly, you, you can see that um, with, with them. So unfortunately for you, I have given you the task of bringing you on to interview you for my book, which we recorded separately. And then I asked you to, if since we're talking, if I can just record the podcast with you. And then I like last second, I threw a bunch of patron questions at you and said, oh, by the way, this is what we're answering and you're unprepared and, uh, and you didn't get a chance to really prepare for them. So that is the unfortunate part. The fortunate part is that I'm excited to bounce these questions off you. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm sure you know how this works, Christian. We have patrons, so patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you can go to pledge. If you like the show, you want to support us, get different rewards. And one of the rewards is if you pledge a certain amount, you get guaranteed responses to your questions. And uh, here we go. You ready? Okay. Yes. And, uh, and also, sorry beforehand, because the nature of some of these questions is that they're long, so I have to kind of just read things and uh, and uh, somehow try my best to condense them at the fly, but I'm going to do my best. So, Amil, Amin Jamil says, Hi guys, I have two points to make today. One, Zidane is going to be a huge act to follow. A task that I see as impossible. I can understand why Pac, Klopp, Lowe and supposedly Conte have all distanced themselves from the job. None of them want to tarnish their growing reputations. Do you think that going with Guti is the best way to go as it may cause Maridisas to lower expectations? Uh, also, I've heard Mikel, Michel is being considered. I don't think he's cut up for the job personally. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well... Winning four out of five Champions Leagues uh, is an extremely difficult act to follow. Um, and it depends on the direction the club wants to go from this point forward. We've seen 2009 when Don Florentino took over a second uh, term uh, compared to the first term. Uh, the priority is Champions League. And it started uh, with uh, bringing in Pellegrini and then Mourinho for four years or three years. And uh, and then now we have had Zidane uh, after we had Ancelotti and Benitez. And so if the club is maintaining the priority of wanting to win Champions League again and again and again, um, the pool of candidates really gets smaller within a handful because you don't want to bring someone in that has never been to a final, that has not advanced past the group stage, that's not advanced further than quarterfinals. Uh, you know, you go there in the qualifications. Uh, so it's very difficult to see what, what decision the club is going to make. If the priority is to focus on La Liga and Copa within the next couple of years to build the next team that dominates in Europe, then it, it, it gets a little bit bigger in terms of the pool of candidates because then you can go domestically, look at coaches that have coached in La Liga, uh, that can take over the program uh, under the under the board's uh, uh, supervision, obviously. So uh, I, I'm interested to see what the club decides to do here. Uh, Guti, fantastic coach, uh, did a great job with Juvenila. Um, not sure what his plan is, but uh, again, the club is going to make the best decision moving forward. So I've taken a deep dive recently into Guti's coaching stuff because uh, the last couple of seasons, just because of the sheer nature of things we have to cover um, from Castilla to 
the A team to the players on loan and and uh, a bunch of international stuff. You know, three hundred players playing and and just you know other other big games and stuff. I I had to tune out Juvenil A and also because their games overlapped. And I just chose to stick with Castilla. Um, but I starting like this weekend, I covered Guti's or Juvenil A's rather um, game in the semifinal. Of the Copa del Rey, which, by the way, they are defending champions because they won the trouble. Yeah. Uh, and I was so pleasantly surprised. And uh, and I'll be really honest with you. I just, they are so much more fun to watch than Castilla. Like, I know it's it's hard to compare because it's like they're playing against different opponents. The, the level is completely different. Castilla also has a lot of turnover every year. It's hard to... Um, sustain rhythm and continuity, whereas Guti gets these kids for longer. But I will say this. Here's what I was impressed with in terms of the level of those kids. His coaching philosophy is really clear. And someone asked me whether we, I think that if Guti's coaching philosophy can carry over to the A-team. And I think the answer is I just don't know and I don't think anyone does. But I will say what it's clear that what he would implement is that these kids... They are taught to retain the ball immediately after they lose it. So counter press, he believes in that. They keep possession, but it's never like superfluous or like, or just like wasted possession. It's always it's always vertical. It's always quick. It's like if you know a ball needs to go somewhere, just get it there. And it was it was it was really fun to watch. Like and there was a hunger to it. There was there was that like you know uh, Maridisa spirit in the air where everyone was just like working tremendously hard, pressing, hounding, whatever. It it was exciting to me, and uh, I was I was seduced by it, by it a little bit. I won't lie. Yeah. Um, the second part of Amin's question uh, is interesting. Is interesting. He says, "I was recently listening to a radio show here in the UK where they were discussing whether this Madrid team could be considered a great team in years to come." My initial reaction was that, of course, they will, they will be. And these guys are just salty Liverpool fans. Uh, then it emerged that their interpretation of greatness was, uh, and they mentioned, I think it was, that Arrigo Sachi uh, once said that the measure of greatness was whether a team or an individual has revolutionized their sport. They spoke about Ajax and Holland from the mid-70s, Milan from the late 80s, early 90s, Pep's Barca, that those teams were on a different level to this team. If you're using that as your yardstick, then fair enough. But to deny this team the label of great just because they didn't come up with a new style of play is literally absurd. This achievement speaks for themselves and this team will be remembered as great slash legendary in years to come. On that note, it's a shame Mourinho's 2011-2012 team didn't win the Champions League. The counter-attacking football that season was ludicrous. Uh, and uh, yeah, Halamari. So... In terms of greatness and to, to define it this way, what are your what is your stance on this? Again, everyone has different yardsticks. This is great, uh, you know, water cooler debate. Uh, if you're at a barbecue with friends or family, it's something fun to discuss. The measure of true greatness is how much have you won, and that is something that's absolutely undeniable. This is the second best Real Madrid team in club history winning four Champions Leagues in five seasons. If it wasn't for Juventus in 2015, this team might have won five in a row matching the 50s. I mean, that's that's absurd. It's, yeah. At this day and age where we have transfers, the press climate that the club lives in this past decade, it's at an all-time high. Uh, so in order to conduct business for the program, it's much more complicated than in years past. Um, and this, uh, with with all due respect to um, you know Senor Sachi, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal mind, uh, a legend in the sport. Uh, I, I I mean, revolutionizing the sport, winning, winning. You don't win the same way every single year. You do something different because opponents are that good to scout you and want to stop you. And this team just they could not be stopped these last uh, few years. Uh, that's that's something that is that is undeniable, as I said before. To your point, like the fact that you brought up um, the Juventus one would have been four out of four. That part is actually crazy to me. I, I think maybe we don't even think about that part enough because it's not just three out of four. 
the fourth one was a semifinal. And by the way, eight years straight, uh, this club yep. has been in the semifinals. That in itself, just in a yep. vacuum, is ridiculous. Yeah. I'd also say that I'm not sure if Pep's uh, Barca was revolutionary. I think it was Cryf before him who, who revolutionized it. And Pep just took that and implemented it masterfully. But I will say one of the identities of this team, because it's not about revolutionizing. It's a, to me, it's a matter of identity and whether people like the identity or not. And people who aren't Real Madrid fans just won't like it. And that's fine. And to me, there's a lot of just narratives and agenda and people just wanting any reason to discredit this historic team. Uh, to me, the identity was uh, the, the, the versatility of Zidane. To not have to... Yeah put one style of play and that be the be-all, end-all, end-all, be-all and stuff like that. It's that he could have X amount of players injured, he could be facing whatever opponent and he would find a way and he would be versatile with his tactics and he would make it work. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, Pep's Barca never won three in a row or three out of four. Uh, or sorry, four out of five. And he also didn't have a plan B. He had a very, very, uh, very good style of play that implemented their authority on the game. But if they went down a goal or they just couldn't crack a, a, a barricaded defense, there was no plan B. That was it. With Zidane, there was so many options he had at his disposal. He built depth. He built continuity. There was a certain feel to the play where it's like it, only, it always felt Real Madrid would win. That to me is an identity, and I think that is underrated. Um, a question from Sajid Reyes, and to be, bring you context to this question, Christian, uh, Sajid asked us a question last last podcast. He had two questions. One was like basically a gun to your head situation: Would Gabe and I trade Ronaldo for Neymar? And two, would we trade Bale for De Gea? We answered we would trade Ronaldo for Neymar. If These are straight swaps. We answered Ronaldo for Neymar, we would do it based on age alone and, and ensuring the transition post-Ronaldo. And uh, we, said, we said no to the Bale de Gea because uh, Bale would, is a huge asset in terms of just making sure we score goals when Ronaldo wasn't there. And the, the, the drop-off of not having him to losing Kaylor for de Gea is is drastically different and Kaylor can hold his own. So that's where the context of this question comes from. Mm -hmm. Sajid says, Hey guys, so in the last pod, you guys vehemently advocated, although uh, I, I don't know if vehemently advocated is the right word, uh, the retention of Bale instead of getting De Gea in a straight swap, with one of the primary reasons being the fact that Bale would be the main goal scorer in a post-Ronaldo era. This leads to my question. Wouldn't the logical progression then be for him to play in a center forward role if he is going to be our main goal scorer? I'm a bit perplexed with this whole idea of a two-way winger because as per my understanding, this type of player existed in the late 90s and early 2000s and is now obsolete. Figo and Valencia's Vicente Figo and Valencia's Vicente and an 18-year-old CR7 are names that come to mind. The fact is, now you just don't play with a winger that hugs a touchline because now fullbacks do that anyway. Take the modern 4-3-3 with the front three that plays today are any of them really wingers per se. Uh, take Neymar, Messi, Salah, Ronaldinho, Pedro, all of who thrive in this wide forward position in a 4-3-3. None of them are traditional wingers. Uh, they start from the flank. So this goes on and on. And... Uh, and 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 so forth. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, it's uh, again, it's very easy to play this game of fantasy manager where you're doing straight swaps of these superstars. Um, you know, the thing that everyone needs to consider is that Cristiano Ronaldo, arguably, is the best or second best player in club history. And he's a pillar of this project that started in 2009, along with Karim Benzema, Sergio Ramos, and Marcelo. Those are the four players that the club has maintained over these last eight seasons. So if you make a move to change those pillars, you can't just swap someone else to come into that position. You are literally changing the nucleus of the team. Uh, so... 
age-wise, you would think that it is uh, appropriate. However, they're not the same player. Neymar and Cristiano are not the same player. Uh, Neymar has different abilities. Cristiano, we know what he did and does. Um, It's a matter of, is there anyone that, you know, can do what Cristiano does that's younger than Cristiano, that can produce what he produces, that promotes the values of the club, that is giving the image that the club wants? Those are the questions that need to be answered. And it's extremely difficult to see in the landscape anyone that's available, anyone that's worth the money to spend. Uh, because, as you know, since 2014, 2015, we haven't really dropped a lot of money on superstars. We did that in 2009. We did that 2013, 14. Um, it, it's very difficult to to see that there's someone else that can just come in and and you and goodbye, Cristiano. Thank you for your time, and then move on to the next uh, next uh, wave. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, this is why I generally don't like these hypothetical questions um, yeah. because one, they're unanswerable and two, it kind of puts you in a position where you have to decide something you really don't just, you don't really want to be in that position to decide it. But uh, And also you're going to end up either way probably disrespecting one player or the other uh, based on what you think. But uh, the, the, the bail positioning thing, this whole thing about wingers and, and stuff, is, it's... it's uh, it's not this clear cut. I wouldn't classify Figo as a, as a, or Vicente are two way wingers. Like they they would defend if needed, but neither of them were particularly good at it. And um, and CR seven, you just really don't want to waste his energy in that role. I think even in a modern four three three, your wingers are going to have to do a lot of defensive work on the flanks. And the fact that wingers are obsolete, like you can't. We just went through a whole era of Zidane with Asensio and Lucas Vasquez this season, doing just that, hugging the touch the touchline. Bale also, you know, go back to the Camp Nou and the Clasico, just doing so much great defensive work for for the right back. Uh, and and even in, even when Modric plays on the right side of the four three three, it's like <clears throat> he's basically playing as a right back and that to me that's that's not where he should play it's it's you want to kind of relieve him of, of duties and preserve him a bit you know put someone like Vasquez or Bale on the right flank to help you in that role the point is that Bale scores more goals from a deeper role like statistically but also just the eye tests like he just is better from deep because he can shoot from long range he can he can make runs without the ball uh, and with the ball and he can get you into a counterattack really quickly and he doesn't do that as well uh, if he's playing off the shoulder constantly um, so the fact that he can play as a winger he can he can get into positions because of the three lungs he has to defend but also attack so I, this is just one of those things it's like I can never this question comes in from Sajid like almost every week and it's like the answer is going to be the same so so thank you for being dragged into this Christian appreciate it <laughs> no problem <laughs> Sheikh Atiri says three questions and we'll take this one at a time as well. Um, one, Kion mentioned Zizou as one of the top five figures in the club's history. I neither agree nor disagree. I can come up with this list. Feel free to add as contenders. Uh, Santiago Bernabeu, Alfredo Di Stefano, Raul Iker Casillas, Cristiano Ronaldo, Florentino Perez, Miguel Munoz, and Gento Enzizu. Uh, these are all obviously important figures. Do you have any thoughts on this? Do you want to create a top five shortlist, or is that something you just want to avoid? No, I, 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 you know, it's so hard to put together a list like that and say this one's more influential or better than the other. I just, you know what, I respect all of them for what they did for the club and for the team in their respective periods and leave it at that. You know, it's just, yeah, Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm inclined to agree with you. I think. Every single one of these people, human beings, are important in the club's history. Um, some more than others, but uh, I think I think there are like locks. I think the locks are probably Di Stefano, Raul. I, well, we have to. We have to. I mean, if I had to say a number one, it's mm-hmm. Santiago Bernabeu. Number yeah. one. He's got to be up there. Stadium, bringing Di Stefano, instituting the greatness in that period of time. To, as Sachi mentioned earlier, revolutionizing the sport. Well, we revolutionized the sport in the 50s. 
<laughs> we yeah. brought the brilliance of individual talents with diff- with nine internationals out of 11 and dominated Europe five years in a row. That's revolutionary. And he can't dis- deny that. So the one that brought that was Santiago Bernabeu, along with Munoz and the other coaches, as well as the players in those times. So I think I think with Zidane, if if we had only known him as a player and not as a manager, it would be much different. But the fact what he did as a manager was, and you know how you can measure this, Christian, the, <laughs> the sadness you felt during the press conference when he said he's leaving. He's just like in undeniable. It's like, oh my God, he's actually gone. It's like this guy has done so much for us as a player and manager that I don't know. I don't. I. It, it's just. It's just crazy how important he's been. Um, yes. he as a, loved- just as a figure, as a figure. Forget player or man. Just as a figure. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 very difficult. I mean, I hear friends of mine from other clubs that say, "Oh, you know, we had Ferguson for X amount of years," or Arsenal fans say, "Oh, we had." So, you know what? The level of competitiveness that Real Madrid expects, it's impossible to have someone there beyond uh, a handful of years. Yeah, it's just it's it's not the same level of expectation. It's not the same, you know, climate. That, that other clubs enjoy in. For example, Bayern Munich, you know, they, uh, when they had their coaching change uh, with, uh, you know, firing Ancelotti, bringing in Hanks, mm-hmm. they were able to, under the mask of being able to search for their next coach during the season and allow Hanks to, you know, finish and then there's someone else come in. Unfortunately, Real Madrid can't do that. There's, there's, there's cameramen camped out in front of the stadium every day. The second that there's a whiff of a of, an, of a representative or a coach that goes there, it's gonna it's gonna make headlines, you know. It, even despite the rumors, you know. So these other clubs, they enjoy the cover of being able to conduct business in that way, and we unfortunately can't because of our success, because of what we what we represent and who we are. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I think managing this club is so much different, and. Uh... I remember back in February, I think it was, where Zidane kind of alluded to this, that just the the mental toll it takes to manage a club like this. It's just pressure popping uh, from all angles. And even when you're winning, it's like, it's just not enough to win. It's like you have to play a certain way and blah, blah, blah. If, uh, and, and then in the press conference, he said that he, was, he wasn't tired. I think you can almost separate what, t- like just... You can have two trains of thought here. And I think one of them is you're tired or you're not. And the other one is you're tired of coaching Real Madrid. Because to me, those are two different things. You can you can still have energy to coach. But coaching mm-hmm. Real Madrid specifically, I think, is, is a whole other game that that is really just probably filled with sleepless nights uh, and the pressure and the expectations and the fact that he came out of it with the amount of trophies he did. I'm just, I'm happy, to be honest, Christian, I'm happy he left because I knew that any further, like, just venturing any more into this would tarnish his legacy that, and this this way, at least it's preserved. It's extremely, it's extremely difficult to walk off to the table when you're a big winner. You want to keep gambling, you want to win more and more. These guys are wired to win. They're wired to win repeatedly. And it's like you're at a 21 table and you're up a couple thousand dollars and you decide, I'm going to cash out. I'm done. You know, that's literally what what he did, Um, you know, and we all feel terrible that he uh, is moving on uh, to another chapter of his life. Uh, I'm not sure what he will decide from this point forward, but we will never forget what he brought as a player and as a coach and as a symbol of our club. I mean, uh, it was difficult to watch. I mean, he left the same way as a player, uh, you know, when he was with our club as well as at that level. And you know, valiant, humble, um, you know, didn't want the dog and pony show of having the tr- all his trophies trotted out, anything like that. It's just simple press conference and out the door, you know? Yeah. Amazing. Shay's so. second question, uh, and we can, we can literally answer this in one word if you want. Uh, he says, do you prefer Wenger or not? No, or not no. having a manager at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, easy. Uh, number three, 
what do you think of Deschamps? Right now, I'm for Pac and then Guti, but I have always been fond of Deschamps. Do you know of his man management skills? Is he good in that? Do you have any input on this? Well, he's a player's coach, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. proven winner as a, as a player. Um, it's a different level to coach a club team than a national team. It's much different. You're you're under the under the eye of the media every day, every week. Uh, as a national team coach, you have only a handful or more games that your team plays in during a calendar year. Um, the biggest uh, spotlight you'll have is major tournaments like the Euro, the World Cup. Um, I I. I I, I don't have anything against Deschamps. It's just, in general, seeing a national team coach come down from that to coach a club team, I have certain doubts uh, as to how that would work, how they would adjust, uh, and also with the players that they would. How much, how much ability would they be able to work not having complete autonomy over the team that they're going to be coaching? Because as a national team coach, you have the autonomy to bring in and call whoever you want for the program you're putting on the field. I'll tell you, sure. yeah. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, Benzema and him will never coexist. So Ben, you'd have to part with with Benz if you were bringing Deschamps. <laughs> well, for the ones that don't like uh, Karim Benzema too much, then Deschamps sure. would be the guy. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, to me, France is really too good and has too many resources to be playing as, if you ask me, just not to the level they should be playing at. That's what turns me off from Deschamps. I think. He should be doing much better with the amount of resources he has. And I, I don't know if his team selections have been great. I don't think he, he'd call all his best players. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't, that stuff wor- would worry me about Deschamps. And he wouldn't be my first choice. I'll put it that well, way. Well, just, just uh, really quickly, I mean, getting to the final of the Euro, that's a, that's a you, know, you know, knocking off the defending world champions in the semi. That was a big move because sure. historically France has never beaten Germany. And they did, uh, and and you know, I my my own personal opinion is if he would have had Karim Benzema in the final against Portugal, maybe they would have had a better chance to win. I don't know, we'll never know. Uh, but yeah, so I I mean, he's a good coach. Uh, let's see what he does in Russia with France. Let's see. Question from uh, Essa Hariri. He says, "Here's a question for you guys: Can you name the top five players that have the best chemistry with Ronaldo? On my list, I have Di Maria, also." Benzema, James, and Karesma. Uh, speaking of Karesma, I see him playing super good. He's fun and decisive for Portugal, providing Ronaldo with great uh, constant assists and scoring beautiful goals. Why his career wasn't very successful at big clubs? Why do you think that is? Well, uh, I, I will say Karesma is one of the most fun players aesthetically like that I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, I, I don't know why he didn't succeed with big clubs. He had a crack at Barca. He failed, but he's you know it's good. I'm I'm happy to see him be preserved in the national team and play well also with Turkey. But was there anyone on this list that that he that Essa missed or in terms of chemistry with Ronaldo? Um, I would probably say Pepe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played with us. Um, any uh, Contral. Uh, the reason why I bring them up is they're his fellow countrymen. Yeah, uh, they work, they work together on the national team as well as when they were with the club, and off the field, uh, that was one of the successes that brought camaraderie within the team. Uh, when you had fellow players from the same country on your club, uh, in your club, you uh, you you generally ge- you know, gravitate towards them either during practice, during games, uh, off the off the field. You know that that those things count too. Um, I'm just trying. I, I think from the current crop, you could probably throw Marcelo in there. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Karim Benzema is the guy that has assisted Cristiano more than anyone else. Yeah, uh, and a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, a lot of people I, I talk to say Marcelo is the one. You know, I'm like, well, Marcelo brings a lot in terms of the offensive side of things, but statistically, Karim Benzema is. Uh, yeah. Over these past, you know eight nine seasons, okay, so you know we we can't for, we can't underestimate that connection. I think if you want to go back historically, I mean these are probably like maybe the, of the current ones. These guys are the five. Um, he liked Kaka a lot, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and 
he was a recipient of a few Kaka assists, and but but I think he he meshed well with Kaka like personality wise, maybe not on the pitch, because uh, Kaka was kind of to be honest a corpse when he arrived. But uh, if you're going back to his Manchester United days, Ryan Giggs and Wayne Rooney, those were two that that they connected well, the three of them on the pitch as well. But um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything else I want to add or you want to add, but we can move no. on to the next question. Uh, Blake Brown says, if the rumors are true and Ronaldo was asking for his pay to come into line with Messi and Neymar, is that in the best interest of Real Madrid to meet those demands? He is either the best player in the world or the second best player in the world. Shouldn't he be paid that way? Uh, also, if we lose him, who is to say we could get anyone close to the production we get from him in the transfer market? Well, okay. <laughs> Again, this this is a, a favorite game of the media where they play this, you're the best player in the world, should, you should be paid the highest. That's if every club used the same business model, and that's not the case. Specifically, when you look at Real Madrid and Barcelona, the salary structures of those two teams couldn't be more opposite. And one book that really opened my eyes as to how the club conducts business in this decade is The Real Madrid Way by Stephen Mandis. That book opened my eyes more to what the club does inside more than anything I've ever read. And I quick shout out to Mr. Mandis. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. And I hope everyone can have a chance to pick it up and read it. Going back to the question, is he the highest paid player on the team? Yes. That's what that's that's how the club dictates it. And with the other players, they are being paid according to what the club has distinguished as giving them in terms of what they're wanting to give them for the contribution they make on the team. If if for example you give Cristiano 50 million euros a season, right? Let's say they give him a new contract and they pay him 50 mil, right? After that, the next hour or day, Florentino Pettis is going to have a number, a handful, a handful of players knocking on his door saying, where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money? And all of a sudden, the model gets broken because you're trying to appease a, a, a legendary stu- superstar on the team, the best player on the team. But we cannot forget that the other great players on the team, uh, they – if they start to think for the you know for themselves and their own interests, that's going to put the team's uh, general interests in jeopardy. So it's it's a very dicey situation. I mean, honestly, these guys they should be, in my opinion, they should be paid true market value. I remember Kobe Bryant when he was given a two-year contract at the end of his career with the Lakers, and fans were complaining about why he was getting paid this amount of money, and Kobe went on the offensive on social media saying you know what, I'm not going to pay my true market value. We are living in a capped league. If I was really getting paid what I should be getting paid, I would be getting paid 40, 50 million a year. And LeBron James now would be getting paid twice as much as he's getting paid now. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we lose that perspective because we fall into this, this game of this guy should get paid more, this guy should get paid the most and this and that. But there's a model behind all this. And I wouldn't, I mean, the club is not going to jeopardize the model for one player. Won't do it. Um, I think that's a great answer. I th- I think I wish that you came on the podcast more. I uh, let me let me flip this. <laughs> let me flip this to you okay. uh, in a different perspective. Okay. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo. He is the a top two player in the club's history. With the other one obviously being Di Stefano. Um, to me, he deserves the world. Now, having said that, uh, there is a difference between the club deserve, uh, being deserving of a of a certain salary based on market value and whatnot, and being reasonable about it, uh, than to be kind of childish about it. My question to you is this: He comes to you and says, "Pay me this much, or I'm out of here." What do you say? Depends on what the amount is. <laughs> What's the reported now? I think it was thirty-two million or something. Thirty-two. Well, he's getting paid twenty-two. See, this is where you see. This is where you get into the negotiation phase. I mean, do, do I think he should get paid more? Sure. All these guys should get paid more. All of these guys should get a salary bump after winning the third straight Champions League title, of course. And then the, you pack on the bonuses. But this is the negotiating factor. 
Um, I'm not in the room. I'm not with Don Jose Angel Sanchez and Don Florentino Perez, so I can't really make a, uh, you know, <laughs> I can't really answer concretely yes or no. But uh, it's do does should he get a bump? Absolutely, no doubt about it. Uh, <laughs> Here's my issue with market value. Um, incompetent front offices skew what market value is. Mm-hmm. So someone X player is is not good, or he is good but he's not that great, is getting paid three million bajillion dollars a year. Now unfairly we have to match that market value, and this player is not happy because he's not getting paid three bajillion dollars. The NBA, it's like we had that summer fiasco where Mozgov got paid an astronomical amount of money, and then Steph Curry was criminally underpaid based on his contract and it's just like the lakers being incompetent all of a sudden skews what market value is do you know what i mean that's that's my that's that's my concern about the market value is that market value is is generally like to be honest like the way neymar is getting you know treated like like a king is is, to me skews a lot of uh, things I mean, look at what happened with, uh, I don't want to go beer way off subject here, but it's a perfect example uh, of this market value you're talking about. Coutinho from Liverpool goes to Barcelona for 160 million euros. And you remember that summer where they went back and forth, back and forth. It looked like a desperate club. Look, you know, like here we got a lot of money and Liverpool knew it because they just sold Neymar and they're holding the feet to the fire. And, and, they were, and Barcelona kept on raising the money, raising the money, raising the money. And they didn't get them that one cycle. And then they waited us. A term, and they ended up paying more than what they offered before. And you have to understand, Coutinho never won a Premier League, never was considered for a golden ball ever, never led the league in goals, uh, he, he, never been to a Champions League final, never won a Champions League final, and here he went for 160 million. Yeah. It's it's just it's just you know Cristiano came to us in in 2009 after winning a Champions League, after winning a golden ball. And he came for 94. And now we have guys that are going for 150, 200. You know, Neymar is supposedly valued at over 300 million. I mean, the mar- th- this is what these guys are looking at in, in Real Madrid is that they're getting paid a certain salary. They're not getting complete image rights, okay, like other clubs are offering. Because at Real Madrid, we believe that we are making you a star, not the other way around. We've existed before you guys did, and you're coming into our ship. That's not the same mentality with other clubs. So these guys are in the locker room and they're winning titles left and right. And they're looking at how much they're getting paid. And they're looking at their, their colleagues at these other clubs that are transferring for so much more money, getting paid so much more. But it comes down to the general question that, you know, the fundamental question is, do you, do you care about winning with your teammates or do you care about yourself? Mm-hmm. And take care of yourself. And if the answer is I care about myself, then – you know, you put the club in a very difficult position and, you know, you you should make the best decision for yourself. But if you care about the team, you have to stay on the team and you find a way to make it work. So I'm going to uh, we're going to switch gears a bit. Sure. Jose Dos Santos says, I am angry. <laughs> I'm watching England versus Costa Rica right now. And Lee Dixon has just called Navas the most overrated goalie in world football. He should be saving that, but nobody cares because it's him. I'm assuming this was the Rashford goal, I think. Uh, why is he so ignorant? <laughs> uh, envy? Jealousy? I don't know. I, I mean, you know, Kaylor Navas. Um, I'm his surprised re- that anyone says he's overrated. I think he's underrated, if anything. Well, it's just, you know... Look, the Kaylor Navas playing for us, the most popular, most competitive club in the world, winning what we've won, and he's a part of it. Uh, it's going to generate these type of jealous, envious, you know, ignorant remarks. And you know what? It's just another competitor in the same landscape that just wants to take a shot, and it's going to fall short. It just is, you know. Uh, Kaylor Navas has he made certain mistakes? Sure, he has. Iker Casillas has made mistakes. Yeah. Diego Lopez made mistakes. Kiko Casilla made mistakes. I mean, no one's perfect. Uh, but in the end of the day, the saves he made contributed to us winning what we won. Period. Yeah. No, there's no question. Yeah. yeah. 
Jahan Watson says, uh, aside from Port- from a Portugal or Argentina World Cup win, which player would be the biggest threat to Ronaldo winning the Ballon d'Or uh, if his com- country triumphs? Would Ramos have a shot if Spain won? Kroos, De Bruyne, Marcelo. Flip the other way, aside from Portugal, what country winning would best secure a Ronaldo sixth, uh, Ronaldo sixth Ballon d'Or? Uh, would it be France? Anyone but Argentina. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you think about it. Um, World Cup year, uh, FIFA really focuses on the World Cup tournaments over club competitions first in considering individual honors, except for what happened in, uh, in 2010 uh, with, for example, with Messi winning. And Spain winning their first ever. Uh, that was one disputed award. I know Cristiano won in 2014, but you saw the coach, the manager of the year was Joaquin Lowe because they won the World Cup. So I think Cristiano has the pole position. Um, but I mean, again, if Argentina wins the World Cup, it's going to flip so fast. I mean, just so fast. It would like, it, because that's the way that the climate we live in. Um, Salah. If he has a really good World Cup, I don't know how far they will make it. Um, you know, depending on how much participation he has, um, we'll see what happens. But I think Cristiano's is is he's got uh, a good firm grip on it. I agree. I think the way like historically this this comp- this uh, this uh, trophy works or this award works is that a lot of it will be based on the major tournaments that year and who wins it and. Uh, like Jahan says, would it be Marcelo if Brazil win? It's it's, it's going to be Neymar, yeah. Neymar. Even Absolutely. though he missed a good chunk of the important season, if he takes Brazil to the World Cup, which is a huge task for him, and I don't think it's inconceivable because I think Brazil looked good and balanced under Tite, but if he does that, he's also probably doing it on, off of a great performance individually. So I think I think he would win it, to be honest. And look at 2006, Cannavato won it. Yeah, there you go. Okay, defender. Why? Captain of Italy, winning the, winning yeah. the World Cup. I mean, it's well. I, again, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens this summer. Uh, but Cristiano has a firm grip on it. Last question. And oh, really? Going, and then I'm going to relieve you, and oh. to enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's gorgeous in LA right now. You don't want to be doing a podcast. What oh, is it? On. Is it beautiful outside? Oh yeah. yeah, it's seventy-two. It's breezy, blue skies, but it's like that every other day here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I like I told you, we're gonna do something in person at some point in LA because uh, I need any excuse to get back out there. It's just such a such a fun place to be. Um, Josie dos Santos uh, says. I would like to share my preferred scenario for this summer. It's a little controversial, so uh, I'd like to know how you feel about it. And he lists off seven things. Number one, Guti becomes a manager. Uh, Unfortunately, this could mean Bale is sold. Number two, Bale is sold and replaced by a returning James after a great World Cup with Colombia. Number three, Benzema stays, but takes a reduced role behind the returning Mariano, who starts up front. Number four, Ronaldo stays but places a sh- uh, place in a shared, or sorry, shares his role with Asensio. Number five, Modric stays although has his role reduced to allow Kovacic more game time. Number six, Ashraf remains backup right back, continuing to grow. And number seven, Marcos Llorente is sold with a buyback clause to a top European team. There is no rule on how you want to answer this. It's just whatever you comes to your mind. So go ahead. Well, hang on. My head is spinning here. Let's 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 take this. <laughs> um, first of all, uh, uh, Guti being named possibly named manager of the team. Um, of course, a new manager coming in. There's going to be changes to the squad. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what they would be. I, I, I'm uh, I'm hesitant to say that this guy will leave. This guy will come back. Uh, whatever happens. You know the the, the the team is going to compete at a high level and want to win no matter what tournament we're in. And the first one we're going to be up to go for is the UEFA Super Cup against Atletico in Estonia on August 15th. So whatever moves are made, 
you know, the club is going to make it in, a, you know, those decisions and move really swiftly because it's going to happen very quickly. Uh, and that is not a, a, a game that we want to lose. Okay. A title at stake against our in city rivals, you know, so right off the bat, no matter who comes in, there's going to be the expectation to win. End of story. So I don't know. I, I'm not going to delve in further about who's going to come or who would will leave or will not leave or, or who's going to get hired. So we'll see what happens. And I so again, and we don't really like hypotheticals in this podcast, but just in terms of gut feeling, um, I'm warming up to the idea of Guti more than I was like three weeks ago, two weeks ago, whenever it was as he then resigned. Um, I do wonder what happens to Bale because of what Guti said about him on was it like late night Spanish TV one time. I don't know if he forgot he was working for the club, but he just he kind of crossed the line with his comments about Bale. Uh, never opposed to James returning, even though it's going to be tough to bring him back because Bayern ultimately will have the last call unless James pushes for it. Uh, I like the idea of Benzema staying in a reduced role. I don't think Mariano is coming back because there's no buyback on him. I like the idea of Ronaldo staying and, and, and resting more with Asensio playing more. Uh, where are we at? I like the idea of Modric staying and, and, and letting Kovacic grow even further. I like the idea of Ashraf staying. I don't mind it. I wasn't high on him because I, uh, I didn't think he was ready to be a backup. And I was hoping for Odriozola, to be honest. But I think he's shown us some promising things this season. And Marcos Llorente, if it's not a soul with a buyback, I think he should go out on loan at least to, I don't know if he'll play at a top European team, but I would like to see him like somewhere like Real Sociedad for a year uh, to see, just to see him develop and play more. And uh, I don't know if you want to bounce anything back at me, Christian, but... Well, I mean, just uh, r really quickly, we have had the formula to win in Europe with the current crop of players on the squad under the leadership of Zidane. And we now have a change with Zidane not returning next season. Yeah. Uh, if the priority, like I mentioned earlier, about wanting to focus and prioritize La Liga and Copa moving forward within the next couple of seasons in preparation of building a team, the next team, to dominate in Europe then there are going to be a number of players whose jobs are on the line. Because if you look at what we've done domestically over the past uh, you know, seven to eight seasons, we've only won two leagues and uh, two Copas. Yeah. We've been eight straight semis. We've won four Champions Leagues. So you see the disparity in terms of where the competitiveness is on the team. But the priority has been Champions League this decade, and we've been successful uh, more than any other club at it. So, again, it's if it's domestic uh, priority over European priority immediately, then a number of players are not going to be with us next season. Christian so, Paredes? Yes. Uh, I just want to say that this was a lot of fun, and I, I won't lie, I, I actually just really enjoyed listening to you and your wisdom. Um, it was just nice, a nice perspective to have. Uh, very calming presence. You speak well, and uh, you're you're uh, you're level-headed, and I, I I like you, buddy. I, I like <laughs> you. I think we should do this more often. Absolutely, anytime you like. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation, and uh, if I may, I'd like to uh, send a shout out to the fellow members of my Pena mm -hmm. who are listening, and Madridistas in the United States, around the world, uh, just um, hello. Uh, we I hope everyone enjoys the World Cup this summer. We're in party mode, everyone cheering their favorite countries on. But right away, we're going to go right back at it in August. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just that's how it is. We don't stop. We don't. And, uh, you know, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to mention the Twitter handle for our, our Pena. Is please, that all right? Please, yeah. So if you'd like to follow us on social media, um, uh, at RM Sur California, that's uh, the Twitter for our Pena, as well as on Instagram. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash LPMSC. Uh, RealMadridCalifornia.com is our website. 
Um, we'd love to have you. If you live in Southern California and you want to join an authentic and traditional Pena, sign up. Sign up this summer. Uh, we are excited to do a new strategy of viewing parties this upcoming season. Uh, we got a couple of great ideas that we're putting into plan moving forward the rest of this year and into 2019. And we're very excited. So thank you so much, Keon, for, for having me and, and, uh, and all of the work that you and Gabe do for Managing Madrid. We, we listen to you, we follow you, and we are very happy. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this, buddy. And hala Madrid. Hala Madrid, nada más. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. If you love football, yelling at television screens with friends, and wearing clothing with someone else's name on it, there's a seat waiting for you at Buffalo Wild Wings, where you can enjoy football food and football beverages on our new $5 game day menu. Cheeseburger and fries, brats, cocktails, and pitchers of beer are just $5 each. Escape to football and the new $5 game day menu at Buffalo Wild Wings. Price and participation vary by location, not valid with any other offer. Please drink responsibly.